Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 270 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Squeezing the Juice from Innovation. Maximizing the value of creativity. Innovation is key to sustained performance. Whether we look at it from a company perspective or at the level of countries and global economies, innovation fuels productivity and growth. Now, we've seen this over and over throughout the centuries, where a technological or scientific breakthrough has driven new levels of prosperity that were previously unimagined. We now live in the most affluent times in human history. Our life expectancy and our standard of living is massively higher than it's ever been. According to the United Nations, more than 1 billion people have been lifted out of extreme poverty since 1990. And just in the last 50 years, global life expectancy has increased from 58 to 73 years of age. Now, of course, it's higher again for developed countries. That is phenomenal. Innovation at the market level drives much of this prosperity. And at the level of the individual firm, innovation is an essential ingredient of competitive advantage. Squeezing every last drop out of the innovation lemon requires trade-offs. And if you don't make these trade-offs consciously, they'll be made for you. And in that case, you'll get whatever you get. In today's episode, I'm just going to look at the factors that you need to balance in order to maximise the innovation that drives long-term value 
and competitive advantage without letting it get out of control. You'll need to balance long-term versus short-term value. You'll need to balance process control versus creative adaptation. You'll need to balance centralised versus decentralised decision-making and you'll need to balance accountability and collaboration. So let's get into it. One of the biggest enemies of future value is current performance. There's often a trade-off to be made between short-term immediate results and long-term benefits. And this is where the scene is set for innovation, or not. Our political leaders seem to find it almost impossible to make long-term decisions. Doing things that are going to improve their chances of being re-elected in the short term will always trump their willingness to do the hard things that create long-term value for their constituents. Chief executives of major corporations, with an average lifespan of about five years and long-term incentives to match, find it really hard to invest in more future-focused value opportunities beyond their quarterly earnings guidance. Given a choice between investing, say, a million dollars into developing a new product that has to be built from scratch, as opposed to investing it to generate more sales for an existing cash cow product, well, the choice rarely falls in favour of the new innovation. I've spoken at various times in the last five years on the No Bullshit Leadership podcast about short-termism, and it can have a significant impact on innovation. A couple of older episodes you might find valuable are episode 115, Does Innovation Create Value? and episode 203, Defending Against Disruptive Innovation. We'll leave links to both of these in the show notes. Now, companies need to be profitable to innovate. So the whole people before profits thing is a little bit of a misnomer. Profitability brings choice. It generates employment. It underpins the long-term sustainability of any firm, and it enables investment into innovation. Now, if you're struggling to turn a profit with your existing products and services, you're really unlikely to reinvest in new products and services, innovation is going to be totally stifled. But even when you do have healthy profits, it can be really tricky to determine how much you should reinvest into market development, that is, growing today's profitability, as opposed to product development, which is creating profitability for tomorrow. For highly innovative companies, they rely on the constant flow of new product ideas through their innovation pipelines. Now, you can measure innovation at scale in a number of ways. The number of patents filed has always been a strong indicator of innovation. The most prolific innovators are household names like Samsung, IBM, Apple, Canon, LG. The top dozen or so most innovative companies each filed over 2,000 patents just last year. This is built into their strategy their funding and their investment processes, and their culture. Their mantra is to innovate or die. And they all have incredibly successful businesses competing in today's market to support the innovation that's going to build their future. The very first step in squeezing the juice from innovation is to take a very deliberate approach to innovation. If you're in a position to do so, set aside quarantined funding which can't be subsumed into the day-to-day demands of the business. Have targets for innovative breakthroughs and dedicate resources to it. It's important to recognise, though, that innovation isn't just about inventing new widgets. At CS Energy, our strategic vision for the future, which was targeted to the year 2030, 
stated that 30% of our earnings would come from products and services that we weren't currently delivering. We had a bit of a burning platform, if you'll pardon the pun, because almost all our revenue was generated by selling electricity from our coal-fired power stations. That could only last for so long before the products of the future replaced them. So we started diversifying through innovative commercial deals, like our joint venture with retail business Alinta Energy, and that opened up new markets and new sources of revenue. That is squeezing the innovation lemon. The second trade-off in the world of innovation is the trade-off between process control and creative adaptation. This is much trickier to manage than the trade-off between short-term and long-term value because it's much less visible. It's sometimes really hard to see where processes are being circumvented and people are making it up as they go along. Processes are essential in any organisation, and companies that execute really well have robust, mature processes to control their activities. Processes give us many advantages. They provide consistency of approach. They enable reliability and repeatability in how jobs are done. They reduce variation from established work practices. They reduce the cost and time intensity of tasks, and they mitigate key person risk. But if you become a slave to process, it can stifle creativity. Leaders start to focus too much on people doing things the same way. People stop thinking about whether the existing process is actually the best way to do something. And sometimes, even the processes themselves escape scrutiny as people rely on them without question. Having led industrial businesses, I know how dangerous that can be. Literally. Process innovation can be a real source of value. Making incremental improvements in existing processes is the type of innovation that delivers greater efficiency and productivity. This is the better, faster, cheaper style of innovation. And it drives sustainable competitive advantage because any advantage that's embedded in organisational culture and process is really hard to replicate. The only way to do this is to create the balance between following the process and questioning the process. The people closest to the work are the ones who are going to be able to see the inefficiencies. And these mostly arise due to snags, waste, rework, and complexity. But to make meaningful innovation in processes, a few things are essential. A respect for the existing processes so that people don't just choose to do things their own way. A cultural expectation for every individual to question whether or not there's a better way to do something. Uh, you need a really good understanding of risk and people's ability to articulate and manage those risks in their own work environment. It requires clear accountability and ownership of each and every process and a simple method of challenging and approving any process changes. Innovating processes isn't sexy, but it can be incredibly valuable. When you lead any team in any industry, there has to be a culture of continuous improvement to underpin the day-to-day -day work. Poorly designed or inefficient processes really drain your resources. There's one other critical consideration when we talk about processes and innovation. If you focus too heavily on making incremental improvements to processes, it can distract your people from the main game. Now, as long as your people are in the minutiae of process improvement, the big value drivers that they contribute to can be compromised or put at risk.
and therein lies the complexity of process control versus creative adaptation. You're trading off the consistency and repeatability of processes with the awareness to modify those processes to make them more efficient. And you're trying to do this without distraction from the overarching deliverables that the processes are designed to serve. And this is by no means easy. Innovation can be greatly affected by your choices around centralisation and decentralisation of activities. Centralisation tends to reduce innovation, but it's a necessary evil, particularly in larger organisations. Centralisation delivers economies of scale. It enables rare and valuable expertise to be pooled so that every part of the business has access to it. It provides essential oversight and control so that no one business unit can go rogue. And it provides a point of reference for making cross-business line decisions that affect the whole company, like where's the most useful place to invest our scarce resources. But like anything, there's a downside to the level of control, centralised expertise and company-wide oversight that this model offers. It often means that innovation is stifled. People fall in line with the expectations that come from the mothership and they stop thinking outside the box. And whereas this can provide a level of predictability and certainty in the short term, the opportunity cost is sometimes really high for the long-term outlook of the business. One way to combat this is to use the power of the centralised approval processes to encourage decentralised innovation. I saw an awesome example of this many years ago when I was doing a short stint of consulting work at Qantas, the flying kangaroo. I distinctly remember seeing posters scattered around the Qantas head office in the heart of Sydney's downtown metropolis. The poster had a bright yellow background and a black silhouette of a person's body from the chest up. The bold caption screamed, $50,000 reward. And when I read the copy below, the basic gist was that any person who came up with an innovation that was implemented into Qantas's operations would be paid a $50,000 cash bonus. I remember at the time feeling as though this was an incredibly smart way to encourage innovation. It used the power of the centralised model to its advantage. Decision-making accountability for which initiatives to implement was retained centrally, so there was really strong governance over the process. But the power was delegated to the teams where people were close enough to the action to recognise the innovations that would really make a difference. And motivation was really high as, back then, $50,000 was a substantial amount of money for any employee below senior management. Regardless of where the structure, the hierarchy and the organisational power tend to pool, the most valuable innovations are going to be driven from a point that's much closer to the action. And unless we're talking about the massive R&D initiatives that drive industries like biotech and pharmaceuticals, the balance of power between centralised control and decentralised autonomy will always be a trade-off that requires careful thought and planning. Right, to finish off, let's just think about the trade-offs that we need to make between collaboration and accountability. Collaboration can be a huge driver of innovation as people exchange and refine their ideas. They can toss alternatives around, pressure test them, and create unique solutions. But quite often, collaboration degenerates into consensus-driven groupthink. Now, accountability for making decisions is still the key to getting shit done. 
and in my view, accountability should always be the dominant consideration. But, you know, it's a fine line to tread. When an individual's accountable for a result, they often focus on that result too narrowly. There may be a number of potential innovations that would not only deliver a better result in the short term, but provide lasting, long-term benefits for the company. And quite often, these are dismissed fairly quickly because they might require additional time and effort to produce right now. This is an innovation killer. In this scenario, we can see all of our trade-off considerations coming into play simultaneously. Long-term versus short-term value. Centralisation versus decentralisation of control. Process discipline versus flexibility. And accountability versus autonomy. Without clear accountability for decision-making and delivery, things tend to go south pretty fast. So where a single-point accountability is essential, the trade-off between accountability and collaboration can be especially tricky because it depends almost entirely upon the accountable person. Now, if that person is by nature collaborative and consultative, then you're likely to get a more open approach to innovation. Exploring, listening, deviating from a process is much more likely to happen when the accountable person is a natural collaborator. But if the accountable person is purely results and task focused, a lot of potential innovation will be stifled no matter what its value might have been. Equally, a lack of clear accountability leads to long, drawn-out discussions and consensus-seeking. And this is damaging in a different way. The people involved in the collaboration stop examining the merits of other people's perspectives and instead focus on the popularity of their perspectives. They hesitate to challenge other people's assertions because that would open the door to having their own assertions challenged. So they become excessively polite. When accountability is weak or unclear, we can fall into the culture of decision-making by consensus and management by committee. And the endless, soul-destroying rounds of appeasement rob us of any drive we might have had to fight for a better outcome. When this happens, collaboration becomes an innovation killer rather than an innovation accelerator. Bringing all of this together, we use the term innovation pretty loosely these days. It's almost become a meaningless buzzword. To squeeze the juice out of your innovation capability requires real thought, some explicit trade-offs, and of course, strong leadership. Your people will solve problems. They will find better ways to do things, and they will fuel your long-term growth strategy. But only if you create a culture that's conducive to bringing those innovative ideas forward and you wrap that culture in a cocoon of strong governance and oversight that's conducive to smart decisions. Now, if you can manage to do that, the next step is even harder. (laughs) Keeping your people motivated to continually push new ideas forward. And that's a topic for another day. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 270. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please make sure you share this episode with all the leaders in your network. I look forward to next week's episode, The Wellness Puzzle. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>